New Wave is a lot bigger than I thought it was. Last week, I explored the UK's music scene from the late 70s to the early 80s to try and figure out what the heck New Wave actually was and what sounds defined it. And everywhere I turned, I found as many questions as I did answers. And what I ended up finding was New Wave's close connections to post-punk, art rock, and synth-pop, with a little bit of glam in some bands for a little bit of extra flair. And the sounds of New Wave were drastically different depending on the band. Early New Wave was dominated by high art and progressive rock sensibilities. And later on, the sounds and inspirations of punk came into the picture, bringing us post-punk and goth rock. And more and more bands started using synthesizers more, creating synth-pop, and moving dance music out of disco and into new territory. The dawn of MTV helped these bands gain popularity and sales in North America with great music videos too, bringing in a whole new wave of success. And New Wave was on its way to big things on this side of the Atlantic. The only thing is, things were a little bit different over here. There were synthesizers, but the guitar was still a big priority with a lot of bands. And a lot of New Wave in the US might not even be considered New Wave to some listeners, lumping a lot of bands in with classic rock. But New Wave in Europe and North America does have quite a few close ties, and I think it's time to find more of those similarities and more of those differences. This is The Tim Gavin Show. This is part two of my look at New Wave this week. Last week we talked about artists in the UK, but now we're going over to North America. But we do need to establish some connections first and go back to the UK. Now around the late 70s and early 80s, there is some overlap in inspiration. And I'm going to start with a couple examples of how music in the US inspired artists in the UK and vice versa. Because even though it is a little bit different, there is still a lot of that foundation that is the same. Take New Order, for example. They formed after Joy Division split up after lead singer Ian Curtis died, and members Bernard Sumner, Stephen Morris, and Peter Hook decided to keep working together, later on recruiting Gillian Gilbert on guitar and keyboards. Now, the first album that New Order made was very similar sounding to Joy Division's music, and at the time, it wasn't well-received, and they considered that time a low point in their career as well, but their sound would make a big change in the early 80s. During a trip to New York City in 1981, the band got introduced to dance music, and members of New Order started listening to Italian disco music to brighten up their moods. And Stephen Morris also taught himself how to program drum machines. They took this inspiration and they channeled it into a couple of singles, including Everything's Gone Green and Temptation, as well as a near 23-minute instrumental, first called Prime 586, later on called Video 586. And they played this instrumental at the opening of the nightclub The Hacienda. They would use pieces of that song on other songs like Ultraviolence and Blue Monday. And there is some earlier inspiration for New Wave from American rock music as well, specifically from the New York Dolls. They're this glam rock band that really laid the groundwork for punk rock with fast, loud songs and a very provocative image. A lot of cross-dressing. And their stage wear got a huge upgrade in 1973 after they met a couple of fashion designers, Vivian Westwood, and Malcolm McLaren. And after advising the New York Dolls for some time, uh, the New York Dolls would eventually break up, and Westwood and McLaren would return to England and open a boutique together. And then McLaren would go on to bring the Sex Pistols together, and that ended up starting punk rock around England, and eventually later on leading to the explosion of New Wave later on in that decade as well. New Wave also started becoming more of a thing in the States because of a label called Sire Records, 
Their chairman, Seymour Stein, was signing bands from New York's punk scene, including the Ramones, the Talking Heads, and the Pretenders. The latter two were different from punk rock. Seymour Stein believed that calling these bands punk would mean poor sales because radio consultants claimed that punk rock was a fad to their clients. So they launched a Don't Call It Punk campaign to get people starting to use the term new wave. Okay, so now we have a couple of connections bridging the US to the UK, but what about the other way around? Well, we have those two through Brian Eno. After he left Roxy Music in the early 70s, Eno immediately started a solo career, introducing mainstream audiences to ambient music, and started producing albums for other bands, including Genesis, John Cale, and Ultravox. And in 1978, he and David Bowie produced Devo's first album and established an important partnership with the Talking Heads, starting with the production of their second album, More Songs About Building and Food. The album's title, by the way, was allegedly given to frontman David Byrne by XTC's frontman Andy Partridge, but there are some conflicting claims on that. One of Brian Eno's most well-known contributions to the Talking Heads was production on the song Once in a Lifetime off of their album Remain in Light, which was a song that came about after Brian Eno introduced the Talking Heads to early hip-hop and Afrobeat music. So now we have our connections from the US to the UK and back again through some collaborations, but there is a little bit more too, including a venue that helped early new wave bands get signed and was a place for new wave bands in the UK to start playing. And the bar was called CBGB. There were a lot of rock and punk bands that played there too. The Ramones, The Misfits, Patti Smith, The Voidoids, Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, along with The Talking Heads, Blondie, and the B-52s. And a lot of British bands played their first gigs stateside there too, including Elvis Costello and most notably The Police. And there was a huge music scene for New Wave in New York, but then New Wave started spreading around the rest of the states as more labels signed New Wave bands, eager to add more of them to their rosters, because it didn't cost them as much money up front to get the albums made for them. And MTV's arrival in 1981 kicked things off even more. Plus, I'd be an idiot to not bring up how New Wave was kept popular in a big part because a lot of these bands were on the soundtracks for a lot of John Hughes movies. And as more of these local scenes started popping up in other cities, more bands started expanding what New Wave could sound like. Over in Boston, you had bands like The Cars mixing synthesizers and keyboards, that New Wave introduced, but they mixed it with power pop and traditional 50s and 60s rock and roll. And they were one of the few bands with two lead singers, with Rick Ocasek and Benjamin Orr acting as co-frontmen, depending on which song it was. Till Tuesday were another New Wave band from that area. And they hit it big pretty early on in the MTV era with a song called Voices Carry, and other people might know that band because of their singer, Amy Mann, who sung with Rush on Time Stand Still. And of course, Los Angeles also played a huge part in new wave music. A lot of bands coming out of that city, including Oingo Boingo, who was formed by legendary composer Danny Elfman. You also had The Knack, Mr. Mister, Berlin, Wall of Voodoo, who are really cool because they mix new wave with the spaghetti western style guitar. And that type of guitar sound was really prominent on their cover of Johnny Cash's Ring of Fire. Another one of the big bands from Los Angeles was the Go-Go's. And by the way, Go-Go's frontwoman Belinda Carlisle has a bit of a connection to punk and grunge as well. Before starting the Go-Go's, she was recruited as a drummer into the first lineup of hardcore punk band The Germs, a band co-founded by a guitarist named Pat Smear, who would later join Nirvana and the Foo Fighters. Unfortunately, she doesn't appear on any of the Germs recordings, though. She was sidelined pretty early on because of a bout of mono, but ended up becoming a pretty big early supporter of the band as she was starting the Go-Go's. And quite a few other cities had a local new wave scene as well. Athens, Georgia, home to the B-52s, 
and they would also work on what was supposed to be their third album with Talking Heads frontman David Byrne, but after a lot of creative differences, that album ended up just turning out to be an EP. And like the Cars, the B-52s took a lot of inspiration from rock and roll, but they added in a little more bubblegum pop and a lot more campiness into their music. The state of Ohio had a surprising bunch of new wave bands as well, Akron, Ohio especially, which was where Chrissy Hind from The Pretenders grew up. Devo also formed in Akron, along with one-hit wonders The Waitresses. Car singer and bass player Benjamin Orr is also from Ohio. And Cleveland was also a pretty big hub for all kinds of music. And when New Wave was big, a few people who would be big rock stars in the 90s would start by playing in New Wave bands. Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails played in a handful of local New Wave bands around Cleveland, including Slam Bamboo, The Exotic Birds, and Option 30. And these bands ended up getting some pretty cool opening spots for bands like Glass Tiger, The Culture Club, Eurythmics, and Information Society. And one of Trent Reznor's bandmates from some of these bands was a guy named Andy Kibizuski, who would later play drums for Stabbing Westward, The The, and Prick. He'd also do a bunch of TV and film scores as well, usually on a and &E, the Discovery Channel, and History Channel. New Wave would also provide a little bit of inspiration for the Minneapolis sound, which was popularized by Prince. Though, most of the inspiration for it mostly comes through its use of keyboards and th synthesizers, and being a little more processed compared to its main influence, R&B and funk. Canada would get a pretty big New Wave scene as well, with bands like The Parachute Club, Martha and the Muffins, Men Without Hats, Rough Trade and the Spoons, but there were also a few other bands coming out of Canada that had some roots in New Wave, but leaned more into hard rock, like Glass Tiger, Honeymoon Suite, Payolas, and Loverboy. Another New Wave band from Vancouver, Images in Vogue, also featured another icon of industrial music, Kevin Crompton, best known as Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy, who spent a few years as Images in Vogue's drummer, recording alongside producer and engineer Dave Ogilvie, who would go on to work with Nine Inch Nails, David Bowie, Ministry, Carly Rae Jepsen, and Marianas Trench, and that's just to name a few. One thing you'll notice with US New Wave, like the UK, it did have a lot of one-hit wonders. In fact, half of the bands that I've mentioned on this episode and the last episode ended up only having one single. And a lot of the bands that I have mentioned on this episode and the previous episode have only really had one major hit in the US, but have had many more in their home countries or in their hometowns, or have ended up having a big influence on bands that came after them. I've really learned a lot in the last couple of weeks. First, is that while a lot of New Wave may appear to be manufactured to some people, it goes a lot deeper than some people realize. And it definitely would not have taken off as much without first establishing a local presence. And a lot of this music has made more of an impact than I think people give it credit for, and has even aged pretty well too. I'll tell you what albums to check out later on, but first, gonna hang out with my buddy Scott Mitchell. So now we're gonna jump ahead a few decades. Go back to the year 2013 for this week's Still the Number One. Gonna take a look at bands and artists that maybe haven't aged quite as well as music in the 80s. Still the number one, and we're looking, I think this is the newest year that we've done on this so far. So far, yes, yes. And the reason why uh, we kind of chose this one, it was over the last couple of weeks, as we've been doing Still the Number One, we've mentioned about how there are a lot of songs that are being released within the last decade that they 
don't really stick around and don't really have that much staying power when you look at 2020 and radio and streaming services, et cetera, et cetera. So I kind of wanted to just chat about one of those years. And for whatever reason, 2013 stuck out to me. Yeah. Now, what were you doing in 2013? That was my grad year, actually, from high school. I was in my third semester at radio school at that point. We were still youngins. Yep, still youngins. This would have been close to the end of the school year. So that was, uh, that's kind of, I think, probably why I've chose this. But number one that week, uh, and it was number one for a few weeks, nonetheless, was uh, Can't Hold Us, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis. Yeah, which is a song that... I really haven't heard too much on the radio, but it's still one of my favorites from Macklemore. Oh, it totally is. It's a, it, there, There's no doubt about it that it's a great song. It's just you don't hear it all that often anymore. It's not necessarily... It, it, and that's where I'm saying like a lot of these songs don't have that staying power. In fact, just looking at the top 10, uh, I would say probably the one that had the most was uh, Imagine Dragons Radioactive, which came in at number eight. And is the worst song on this whole chart. <laughs> okay, can we get into this argument early? Is that the worst song in this whole chart? Or is Cruise by Florida Georgia Line and Nelly the worst song in this whole chart? It's close. It is really, really close because I really <laughs> do not like either of these songs. That was in at number six. The rest of the top ten, uh, Daft Punk, Get Lucky at number ten. Uh, number nine was Icona Pop, I Love It. Uh, Selena Gomez, Come and Get It at seven. Rihanna and Mickey Echo with Stay at five. Bruno Mars, When I Was Your Man at four. Justin Timberlake, Mirrors at three. And Pink and Nate Roos, Just Give Me a Reason at two. And Pink and Nate Roos, I, that song is, it's a weird one in Pink's discography. I just find it is the most meh of her songs. Yeah, and... Uh, I can agree with that. That's also another song that you still hear quite often. It is. And I don't know why. Like, there are so many better songs from her. Just like, <laughs> let that one go. It's, it's slow and I boring. Think, though that was like when uh, when Nate Roos and Fun were really like having fun, I guess you could say. I guess I think this was on the tail end of their popularity, though, because like they were starting to go solo and just completely split up because Nate Roast wanted to make a solo career, make a solo album. And it didn't do anything. It did absolutely nothing. <laughs> and now Jack Antonoff is just having all the, having like all the success all because he left fun. Totally. Uh, also, uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis had a second um, appearance at number 11 with Thrift Shop, which was a former number one earlier in the year and the number one song of the year. It was like Thrift Shop. That was, I think, the biggest song for them. And I'll admit, when I first heard this song, I thought they would be a one hit wonder. But then they then all their previous singles started becoming sleeper hits like Can't Hold Us. That song is actually older than Thrift Shop. It was out in 2011. Yes. And then it just popped back up in 2013. It was much like Lizzo. Yeah. Like Lizzo, she uh, she was virtually undiscovered. And then there were some of her songs that were released back in like 16, 17, that all of a sudden, because her one song became popular, the rest became popular. Yeah. And the, the other songs became even more popular than Juice. Y you see a lot of that is uh, is coming around where they are kind of sleeper songs to begin with as well. And then somebody discovers this artist and makes them big. And 
then they're like, you know what? Maybe we should try releasing this as a legitimate single again. Yeah. And then it does everything. And then like sometimes even radio programmers, they'll go back into like previous songs, try and like pull mm-hmm. some stuff, add some extra stuff into like the secondary categories too. Another one, uh, this one was actually, I think it had the longest reign at number one on the charts this year. Number 12 was Blurred Lines, Robin Thicke, T.I. and Pharrell. And that song has not aged well in the slightest. Oh, no. (laughs) Lyrical content aside, there is still so much crap in the music industry that happened because of this song. Remember that lawsuit? Mm -hmm, The Marvin Gaye lawsuit. Robin Thicke versus the Marvin Gaye estate. And... Robin Thicke set, like accusing Pharrell of doing most of the work saying like he was on drugs. It is just a whole thing. Yet it was so popular in its time. And then he had uh, a couple other songs come out after the fact that did absolutely nothing. Yeah. And Robin Thicke, he had a couple songs before Blurred Lines too, but then Blurred Lines came out and just completely overshadowed those. Oh yeah. Like back in the uh, early 2000s, there was um, Magic. Yeah. Is the first one that comes to mind, which I believe, I believe is CanCon. Robin Thicke, his very first single is actually like completely unavailable in Canada, by the way. Really? Yeah. It's a song called When I Get You Alone. I think one of the reasons why this song is unavailable in Canada is because it heavily samples a fifth of Beethoven. Okay. Remember that disco song? Like it's basically, it takes that whole beat and just rides that sample Right. Robin Thicke singing over it. Great song. Great use of that sample. But it's completely unavailable in Canada. I know you want to chat about this. Uh, There's two songs, number 19 and number 20, that have hashtags in their names. Hashtag that power, Will I Am in the Beebs at 19, and then Mariah Carey Miguel with hashtag beautiful at 20. Yeah, this started happening around the early to mid 2010s. And it's another trend that... I disliked then and just kind of look back with embarrassment now because this is something that, again, has not aged well. This was back when, you know, hashtags were starting to become more of a thing. I think, didn't Facebook start using hashtags around this point too? I think so because I know like Twitter's used it since the very beginning. Yeah. And then I think it was around that time that, you know, Facebook started using it more. And we also saw um, an influx in people using Instagram and stuff like that. And it just it kind of blew up. And so artists were like, you know what? I'm going to put it in my song title. I don't think it was artists. I think it was idea. management. I think it was the higher ups trying to cash in on on a new social media trend. <sighs> yeah. And they're always about, uh, you know trying to keep up with the trends and keep up with the joneses right sometimes it doesn't work and i will say this hashtag beautiful is a great song i think it's one of mariah carey's best hashtag that power eh. is a very meh song it is and i say this as someone who doesn't really like will i am or justin bieber i will admit they have great songs but that power is not one of them. Fair enough. I think we could all agree with that one. Yeah. Another thing that I wanted to talk about, number five and number six. Uh, we have at number five, Stay, Rihanna and Mickey Echo. And then, uh, actually, no, sorry, number four, Bruno Mars, When I Was Your Man. Two of the most boring songs on this whole chart, they basically serve the same purpose, too. Very um, acoustic-y, very ballady, just overall meh. <laughs> yeah. But which one is the better of the two? Uh, I didn't want to make this choice. Um, I'm going to go with probably stay. 
I'm kind of in the same boat just because Rihanna's vocal talent. She's, she's obviously a better singer than Bruno Mars. I like Bruno Mars, but I'd say he's like, he's good all around, but Rihanna has a great voice. And I think her voice like really just is the best part of this whole song and what really makes it great. And my favorite of the two. And you see uh, on this chart, we mentioned about Cruz, the Florida Georgia line earlier, but you start to see a little bit more of the, the country influx back into the Hot 100 charts. Um, Darius Rucker's cover of Wagon Wheel at number 21. Yeah, I actually like that cover. Tim McGraw, Taylor Swift, Highway Don't Care at 24. I actually remember that song pretty well because that that got a lot of airplay when i first got into country radio when i moved up to peace river we also had florida georgia line was in at 35 as well with get your shine on miranda lambert mama's broken heart at 42 george Strait, give it all we got tonight at 43 so you start to see a lot more uh, of the country rolling themselves back in also a little more chris brown than i'm comfortable with i think this is a lot more chris brown than anybody is comfortable with and this was back when like everything that he did to rihanna was still like so- even more fresh and people's minds yeah and now you still look at this day and age and still somehow he's releasing music and artists are willing to collab with him like okay i find it weird that drake collabed with him and drake and rihanna are super tight yeah that is just (laughs) that is strange I, i i wonder if those two had like a very serious conversation afterwards Oh, probably, probably. Uh, another one that was on this list that I know you love, number 25, Justin Timberlake, Jay-Z, and Suit and Tie. Yes, I actually have a lot of affection for this song. It was, it came out right when I was in um, my second semester of college. We played that a lot on our college radio station. I thought it was like kind of a favorite of mine at the time. Is that the better song between that one and Mirrors? Yes. Mirrors is good. But I don't know. I still like Suit and Tie a little bit more. And I think that Justin Timberlake would have one or two even better songs on part two of the 2020 experience. And I know a lot of people will disagree with me on that. But I think that even though part one is the better of the two albums, two of my favorite songs from that era are on part two. Fair enough. Uh, We also saw this was about the time when... Uh, Taylor Swift was all uh, moving away from country to go into more pop. And we saw uh, 22 in at number 26. Too bad it wasn't I wonder if that song 22. was ever like exactly at 22 on the charts. You and I were thinking the exact same thing. And uh, I Knew You Were in Trouble was at 41. Yeah. Also, Anna Kendrick on the charts, number 36 with Cup Song. <laughs> oh, this is, yeah, this is pitch perfect time as well. Oh, yeah. Right, right in like, deep in that prime pitch perfect era oh yeah um you also go a little bit further down the charts jason derulo at number 40 with the other side this is all i think this would also be the first time that we'd see ed sheeran on the charts with uh lego has at number 52 and at that week it had jumped up 20 spots that one never really was all too popular in canada if i remember correctly yeah, the first album, it didn't really do much. Like, it, like it established Ed Sheeran a fan base, basically. A-Team did a lot more, but Lego House was kind of just, it, it didn't, it was a sleeper here in Canada, if I remember correctly. Yeah, but Ed uh, Sheeran wouldn't really hit his stride until his next album. That oh. is when he got, like, absolutely insanely huge. Totally. You also see, uh, <laughs> this is just a weird few songs in this stretch i'm just going to quickly go through this so number 47 was awol nation sale 
I think that's like the longest charting song on here too. 37 weeks. Uh, number 48 then, right after that, was Luke Bryan and Crash My Party. Number 49, Sigh and Gentleman. I actually like that one a little bit better than Gangnam Style. I, I think everybody kind of got tired of Gangnam Style after a while, so we're just all like, okay, we'll like the other Sigh song. Uh, yeah. And number 50, Bauer and the Harlem Shake. Which was the first song to ever become popular just because of the internet. I don't remember that song getting any radio airplay at all. Uh, I think it got a little bit, but only because programmers at the time, um, this would have still been like before I was um, into Hot AC Radio. But programmers at the time, I think, were starting to realize like, hey, this is popular on the internet we should probably add it to rotation to try to keep up with the trends. Yeah. And you see a lot of that nowadays. Like I mentioned this before, um, TikTok, for example, has a lot of songs that are now charting in Canada and in the States. And it's because radio is now playing them as well. Yeah. And I also kind of wonder how much of these TikTok songs are going to age better than others. Like, I'm not like I'm not I'm not knocking TikTok as a way of getting music out there this time. But it's something that I'm very curious about and seeing how that's going to carry on going oh, forward. Into the future. It'll, be, uh, it'll be interesting to see. And I think this first year is really going to solidify their place in the music realm. Um and and as to making things trend but i mean it's it's the big thing everybody's suddenly going over to tiktok i've noticed companies are using it now too as a way of advertising themselves much like they would having any other social media page i'm still very hesitant to get on it i know you are but the stuff i send you is it's pure gold you got to (laughs) it is i like it it's just i don't i don't I don't think I'd really have much to contribute over there. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Um, also, uh, we talked about fun earlier. Carry On was at 55 this week. Pretty decent song. Yeah. Which one's better, that one or Some Nights? Or We Are Young? Some Nights, definitely. And this is actually at a point in time where I did not like the that band at all. Right. I don't know what it is, but at the time, they really rubbed me the wrong way. It wasn't until I listened to the album that came before Some Nights that they started to grow on me. And then I listened to some nights again and like, Oh, you know what? This is actually pretty good. I, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I should have kept my mouth shut about this band. <laughs> um, we also had uh 58 Calvin Harris and Ellie Goulding. I need your love, which is not the best collab from those two. The outside is the better one. I agree, but I still, I still have a soft spot for, I need your love, but I am, I'm kind of a Calvin Harris super fan. That's true. If, uh, if you know Tim at any point in your life, you know that he is a huge Calvin Harris fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, some other artists on here that you necessarily don't um, hear from all that often anymore. Ollie Murs and Flo Rida with Troublemaker. That's 60. Haven't, haven't heard from Ollie Murs since that song, I'm pretty sure. Did he have any hits before that? Or was that like his only hit? There was another one. Hang on. There was another one, though, that got played quite often. It's, um, oh, Dance With Me Tonight. Right. And, oh, number 72, another Macklemore song. Yeah, same love with uh, Mary Lambert. Uh, and as we keep on scrolling down, then you start to see a lot more of um, the R&B and rap stuff start making their way yeah. back into the charts as well. 
and just pockets and pockets of country. Oh yeah. Yeah, like it's all like streaks of country, streaks of rap, streaks of country. And then sometimes it's just all randomly tossed together, like as if it went through a blender. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, new songs on the charts this week. Number 99 was Kelly Clarkson, People Like Us. And then number 98, Really Don't Care, Demi Lovato and Cher Lloyd. What do you think of that one? I liked it when it came out. It was catchy. It was very upbeat. It was very summery because it had just came out right when it started yeah. getting warm out. And I remember people were listening to this all over the place and uh, now you don't hear it as much even though it, it could still work as a as a summer song i think it could still work really well i'm not really a huge fan of Cher lloyd's uh verse on this at all but i do love the rest of it uh okay better summer song from demi lovato that one or cool for the summer cool for the summer I, by a long I'd shot i'd agree i would agree yeah it's still good though it is i remember hearing that on wwe's SummerSlam. <laughs> actually like that was the song really? that they used for that pay-per-view. really <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I'm not really much of a wrestling fan, but I was living with guys who were like big into wrestling. They ordered the pay-per-view. I was like, what the heck is Demi Lovato? What is her music doing on WWE? I Right? Like, okay. What do you think WWE? The first artist that comes to mind is definitely not Demi Lovato. No, it's, it's John Cena because of, he actually has, he had a rap album and I, I actually have a copy of it too they they should just play that music from that uh that prank call that that radio station did down they should literally just play that music even even when john cena is out of wwe for good totally totally uh is there anybody else on this list that you wanted oh, to roast? oh geez actually where yes, do you, right, where coming in at number 100 Lee Bryce, I Drive Your Truck, which is supposed to be a sentimental song. Also like the most country song title you can have. Yeah, it is. It is it, I, I get it. I get what Lee Bryce is trying to do here. But my God, is this song corny? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm going to honor your memory with reckless driving and pollution in this truck that gets like two miles to three gallons. And you know what's even more hilarious? What? I, I decided to search up the song just just to listen to it. Just because, you know, I, I don't want to just talk bad about a song and not, like, actually hear it. You got to listen to it. Correct. Before you can make fun of it. And the top result for this song was not the original album that it was on. It was on a compilation. And do you know what that compilation was called? What? Make America Great Again. <sighs> That's what I said. <laughs> Was it complete with the eye roll I just did, too? <laughs> An eye roll so hard, my eyes came down through the other side. That is how far back I rolled my eyes as soon as I saw that it was on a compilation called Make America Great Again. My gosh. Oh, Americans are a special type of people. Truly. But at the same time, that's I, I'd say that's probably the most Alberta song that was ever written. Alberta, Saskatchewan. Yeah, it just prairies in general. General. Uh, those memes are funny where it's like it's only a matter of time before we get a country song about it, the guy's truck leaving him. And I'm, I'm sure it's not that far away. No, no. As soon as, soon as they perfect autopilots on vehicles, as soon as, as, soon as like Elon Musk <laughs> makes the next Cybertruck and makes it look more like an F-150 instead of like a Hot Wheels car. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, and I actually found a couple of songs that I just wanted to, like, show some appreciation for. Okay. Uh, a country song on here that I actually really enjoy, the Zach Brown Band, Jump Right In. Okay, yeah, Number yeah, 91. Yeah. And number 90, Capital Cities with Safe and Sound, which is one of my favorite, I guess, one-hit wonder bands. Because they have released some stuff ever since then, but nobody's really talked about them. Which is a shame, because that album that Safe and Sound was on is a great album. Right. Yeah, it's... Uh, I haven't heard the full album, so I can't judge. But, yeah, yeah they... It, it's just... They they died off right after that song. But yeah. that song was super popular forever. Yeah. Actually, we had... We kept one of the deep cuts on, on the album, uh, Kangaroo Court. Okay. Which It was another single off of it, but it never really did anything. But we kept it, and basically every time we'd have to, like, do a restart on the server, I'd basically play that song. All right. <laughs> so if you ever hear that song on your radio, it's probably something Tim. is getting restarted. It's probably Tim, let's be honest. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're the only person I would know that would pick that. <laughs> what can I say? It's a, you got you to gotta put songs that you like on there somehow. Okay, uh, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, Ray Dalton can't told us. Is it still the number one? In my heart, in my heart of hearts, can't hold us is still the number one. Okay, I uh, I would want to agree with that, but just based on uh, the fact that you don't hear it that much, I'm gonna say no. You know what? That's fair. That, that's I, fair I, I mean I, it's all it's all a toss-up there and you could be personal preference if you want but yeah yeah but according to your own personal preference what song would be number one that week out of the top 10 if i were to pick from there um not even on the top 10 just in the in the chart in general oh yeah um that's a good question I'm going to mention one that we didn't really talk much about, but it was super popular and it didn't go much higher than this. Number 15, my songs know what you did in the dark. Follow boy. Very interesting choice. I know, right? Yeah, it did really well. Let's put it that way uh, in it terms did. of in terms of people enjoying the song and whatnot. So I'm just going to grab that one uh, as a little bit of a left field pick. It's a great left field pick, too. And it, it's a song that I appreciate. It's like. Who would have thought that Fallout Boy would be the the one emo band that would make like a huge comeback <laughs> this decade? And then they kind of fizzled out again, and then came back last year to do a little bit of stuff, and now they're kind of gone again. Yeah. For me, I would have to pick Get Lucky. Ah, yes, that was that because was be it my is the absolute choice. best song to come out of like this period in time that was gonna be my second choice because you gotta have a little bit of daft punk in there at least yeah and i really wish that daft punk would either do a tour or something or get to work on another album because i want some more daft punk nobody's doing tours right now tim we're in the middle of a pandemic (laughs) i know But that's beside the point right now. We are not focusing on the pandemic. We are focusing on the pand- on the fact that even before this, Daft Punk were not touring, period. And they hadn't toured since 2007. All right, let's call it a split on Still the Number One this week. All right, before we go, I have a bunch of album suggestions for you. 
just to explore US New Wave a little bit more. Now, for the early US New Wave sound, especially out of New York, don't forget to check out more songs about buildings and food and Remain in Light, both albums from the Talking Heads. Uh, the Pretenders have Learning to Crawl, great album from them. Blondie, Parallel Lines, a lot of great hits on there as well. For more of that synth-pop sound, check out Devo's first album, Q, Are We Not Men? A, We Are Devo, and Dead Men's Party from Oingo Boingo. If you're looking for some more classic rock-oriented new wave, check out the B-52's self-titled debut, Loverboy's album Get Lucky, and Heartbeat City by The Cars. This was part two of a look at new wave. Part three is going to be about all the music that came after and how songs and bands from today are connected to new wave from the past. So go listen to part one all about new wave in the UK and check out some of the previous episodes while you are waiting for this next one too. You can subscribe to The Tim Gavin Show wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to like The Tim Gavin Show on Facebook and share this podcast with as many music lovers as you can. Talk to you next week.